1: I'm Brian Sullivan, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show airs live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. It is 5 a.m. in Atlanta, and here is your top five at five breaking news overnight. Democrat Raphael Warnock projected to flip one Senate seat in the big Senate runoff in Georgia. The other race still too close to call. Futures flat to even slightly higher as the market awaits that outcome as the landscape of congressional control turns more blue what it all means for your money ahead. Troubling new developments in Hong Kong as dozens are arrested under the new national security law there. We'll get a live report from overseas. The Trump administration taking some final actions against China, targeting tech firms, including Jack Ma's Ant Group. And how'd you like to own a little piece of Hasselhoff history, the auction that could put kit in your driveway. It is Wednesday, January 6th and this is Worldwide Exchange. Well good morning, good afternoon or good evening and welcome from wherever in the world that you may be watching. I am Brian Sullivan. Thank you very much for joining us here on CNBC. And here's how your money in the global markets are setting up this busy Wednesday with the Georgia Senate results in one of the races still too close to call. Stock futures aren't bothered by it on the Dow, but the technology names are getting hit hard. Look at that. The Dow futures are up 48 points, but NASDAQ futures are down 217. It is a rare day where we see technology futures down over 100. They are now down over 200 because... Technology trumping taxes, as there is a belief out there by some that full democratic control of the government could lead to far more regulation for big technology. And look at that Apple, Microsoft, Facebook, PayPal, Intel, and others are all down one or two percent. We will get much more on this all throughout the hour. We also have to get an eye on oil surging yesterday on what we'll call the Saudi surprise. The kingdom shocking everybody by cutting. 1 million barrels per day out of production at the OPEC plus meeting. The country saying it did so out of goodwill for many struggling nations and oil producers. That sent oil up five bucks. It is up again right now and over $50 for the first time since all the way back on February 26th. Now you had the oil stock surging on that news as well with the XLE energy ETF up more than 4%. Right now it is Moving higher again, up 1.5% to 40.33. And don't you forget about Bitcoin. I mean, how could you? Soaring above 35,000 at one point overnight. It's not there right now. It's at 34.286, up five, call it 600 bucks, but hitting yet another all-time high. All right, let's check now around the world. In a mixed session with Asia, you had some marginal gains and losses across the region. No real trend there you could see. About half green, mostly in China, the rest of the area in the red, and in Europe. Despite lockdowns and everything else that is going on, stocks there mostly continue to move higher with the major indexes, Germany, UK, France. They're actually all higher across the board. All right, there is so much to do in this hour. Let's get right to it and hit some of the big stories that you need to focus on on this Wednesday morning, including the Trump administration taking new actions against China. Josh Lipton. Is it now? With more on that and other stories. Josh, good
2: morning. Good morning, Brian. So President Trump has signed an executive order banning transactions with eight Chinese app companies. The administration argues the move is aimed at curbing the national security threat posed by the apps, which includes Ant Group's Alipay. The action ramps up tensions with Beijing with just two with just more than two weeks until President elect Biden takes office. Biden could revoke the order, though it's unclear if he will. Sticking with China, the New York Stock exchange is apparently considering moving forward with delisting three major Chinese telecom companies. Bloomberg reporting that the potential reversal to the NYSE's initial U-turn comes after Treasury Secretary Steve Mnuchin called NYSE President Stacey Cunningham to expect his displeasure with the decision to potentially let China Mobile, China Telecom and China Unicom keep trading. This all comes after President Trump's November order requiring investors to unload Chinese business deemed a threat to U.S. security. And Apple has added a new section to its annual proxy statement tackling antitrust risks. The language is new this year, highlighting the regulation and antitrust pressure Apple and other big tech companies are facing out of Washington, and Apple representative declined to comment on the matter. Brian, back to you.
1: All right, Josh, thank you very much. We'll see you in a few minutes, my friend. All right, now to that troubling news out of Hong Kong, where police have arrested dozens of pro-democracy activists, authorities claiming that they violated the new national security law that was passed less than a year ago. Let's get right now to the details with Yunus Yun in Beijing. Yunus.
3: Thanks so much, Brian. Well, you know how the Democrats have been uh, trying to focus their efforts in Georgia in order to gain influence in Congress. Well, in Hong Kong, it would appear that that kind of action would be considered subversive. So in early dawn raids, the city's authorities rounded up several opposition lawmakers and activists who last year had organized an unofficial primary in order to find candidates to be able to, for the first time, be able to get a majority in their legislature so the election was postponed by the government for a year ostensibly for COVID concerns but at that time beijing as well as hong kong leaders had warned the tactic could be considered subversive under the city's new national security law and today the security chief said that campaigning to try to win a majority in the legislature with the goal to block government proposals could be seen as an attempt to overthrow the government What was also interesting and disconcerting for many within the international business community was that an American lawyer was also among those who uh, who were uh, rounded up in that raid. Brian.
1: All right, Eunice, what has been the reaction on the mainland in in Beijing and Shanghai and other cities to these arrests?
3: Well, of course, the overarching um, reaction in social media would be censored. So um, a lot of it was applauding, um, both on social media and state media, the action in Hong Kong, um, arguing that this type of action was necessary for the long-term prosperity of the city. Uh, But what I also um, think was interesting was the reaction that we had Oh, We just got censored. But uh, the reaction that we had um, from the U.S. side, and that is that the Secretary of State, Antony Blinken, had tweet- tweeted um, a message from the Biden administration, which would suggest that the Biden administration is going to continue to be quite tough on this issue. He said this is an assault on those bravely advocating for universal rights. Uh, the Biden-Harris administration will stand with the people of Hong Kong, he said, and against Beijing's crackdown on democracy.
1: So just just so our viewers understand and this happens every so often when you say we just got censored that means on the dem- you can watch CNBC around this show goes out around the world if you're sitting yeah. in a hotel in Shanghai and you're watching us right now the screen goes black for a couple of seconds
3: Well it used to go black. It doesn't go black anymore. Now what I'm seeing is a fake no signal please stand by um, uh, mock up, uh, just so that it makes it a little bit more difficult for people here to figure out that we are being censored. But when we see this uh. fake um signal, then yeah, then we know that we're being censored. So, obviously, a very sensitive uh, so issue. So, as opposed that to the authorities here don't want the domestic folks to see,
1: as opposed to so, I, brilliant, suppose they're just going dark, it makes it look like there's a technological problem. That's causing, they should just put up a picture of a puppy or a yule log or something like this. Yunishun, we are very (laughs) glad that you are there in Beijing. Much more pleasant
3: to look at.
1: Yeah, exactly. But uh, it's unfortunate that it occurs, but we are very appreciative of you bringing us the news uncensored. As always, Yunishun, live in Beijing. Thank you very much. All right. Now to the special news on that, uh, or the breaking news, that special election in Georgia NBC News projecting that Democrat Raphael Warnock has defeated Republican Kelly Loeffler. The other race between John Ossoff and David Perdue still too close to call. This as Congress prepares to certify President-elect Joe Biden's victory today as tensions grow in the White House and on the streets of Washington. Tracy Potts joining us now with more from D.C. Tracy, what is the latest on the special election in Georgia? When will we have some kind of resolution to the Ossoff Purdue race.
4: Yeah, they're counting, uh, Brian, but we don't know when they'll be done. Uh, As of last night, there were still thousands of votes outstanding in Fulton County. The Atlanta area, for example, they said they had about 4,000 votes that they would stop and start counting again in the morning. That's just one part of the state. Right now, the vote total in that Purdue Ossoff race, as of last count, was about 12,000 votes apart. So uh, the votes that are outstanding could make a big difference there. One Georgia election official said uh, with a race this close, it could take them a couple of days before they actually have a result. And this is critical, as you know, because the result of that one race now determines control of the U.S. Senate. After picking up Warnock, uh, Democrats now have 49 seats. Republicans have 50. If they're even, uh, then the tiebreaker would be the Democratic vice president-elect, now Kamala Harris. So uh, this one race is going to determine who's in charge, and we just don't know yet, with thousands of ballots outstanding and the race considered too close to call.
1: Well, Tracy, it's a busy day for you. That's not all that's happening. We've also got the certification of the Electoral College votes today, All of it mounting tensions in Washington. You had some video of buildings that were boarding up their entrances. What can we expect on that side today?
4: So, that process is going to happen, but it's going to take a lot longer than the 20 or 30 minutes that it normally does because we've got 13 Republican senators, 100 members of the House who say they have objections. Here's how it goes. They count those votes, they, in in terms of counting, they get the certifications from each state in alphabetical order, one by one, and then individual members of Congress can say, hey, I object to that one, I have an issue with that one. If that's the case, they stop, they separate the Senate and the House, and they debate these objections. This could take a while. Uh, It's not expected to change the outcome, there are not enough Republicans who are saying that they're going to object to change the outcome, even though the president's tweeting about that because Vice President Pence is overseeing that process, but he can announce the results. He cannot change them.
1: Tracy Potts in Washington. Tracy, thank you very much. All right, on deck. Halima Croft is here on the Tuesday Saudi surprise with oil and why incoming Biden's, President Biden's biggest challenge may be Iran. We speak with one small business owner in the U.K. about mounting hurdles to stay afloat mid-new lockdowns and Brexit all taking hold. And China reportedly turning up the pressure on Jack Ma. What regulators there want to know for the billionaire. A very busy hour still ahead. NASDAQ futures down one and a half percent. And we're back right after this. All right, welcome back and good morning. We continue to follow that breaking news overnight on the special election out of Georgia. NBC News projecting that Democrat Raphael Warnock has defeated Republican Kelly Loeffler. The other race between John Ossoff and Senator David Perdue still too close to call at this hour. But technology stocks, they're getting slammed right now on the news. NASDAQ futures are down more than one and a half percent. Their fears that under full Democrat control, much more regulation is likely coming for big tech. NASDAQ, as you can see, off 230. Dow futures are slightly higher, with investors perhaps believing that even if the Democrats win full control, the moderate Democrats in the Senate, like Joe Manchin, and a very narrow majority in the House, will block any major changes to things like tax law. Let's get more on all of this and other opportunities with Brian Lovett. He is Invesco Global Market Strategist for North America. Brian It's good to have you on this morning. Honestly, I'm not sure I can remember seeing not only, A, Nasdaq futures down over 200 points, I know as the numbers get bigger, the numbers get bigger, but also the disparity this morning between the Dow and the Nasdaq. I mean, two different worlds here. What do you make
5: of it? Well, first, let's remember that the, the tech stocks have had a huge run. And so this is a bit of a seed change. This is the policy uncertainty that can create some volatility in some parts of the market. It's part of this shift. It's a of the recovery trade that we've all been talking about that probably needed additional impetus, additional support from Congress that now is likely to be forthcoming. So you see it playing out, Brian, with interest rates higher, oil prices higher. So uh, it, the dollar weaker. It's a recovery trade that's playing out. And technology had been such a big part of that weaker growth trade that the transition is now shifting to the more value oriented, um, some of the cyclically oriented industries of the market.
1: Do you think that has to do with the election results, Brian, or just, does it have to do with an ongoing shift that was already occurring, maybe sort of you know, exacerbated by the projected results?
5: Oh, no, it certainly has to do with the election results. So this is a recovery that was taking place. We knew the, the Fed was all in. We saw what we got from a divided um, government with regard to additional fiscal support. Now, this changes that. So this raises the prospect of a Biden administration with many of the same players that we saw in 2009 coming in, this time providing additional fiscal support than what we got during the global financial crisis. And so what that does is that puts further support behind the economic recovery. And it's why you're seeing interest rates up, oil prices up, the more value-oriented parts of the market outperforming the growthier parts of the market. That's all part of that recovery trade that now gets greater support from a unified government.
1: So is that what you're recommending? Is that where you want to put Invesco clients' money into some of the more beaten up names for last year? Or do you just ride that momentum train and big technology that has continued to
5: work now for years. I wouldn't be. I wouldn't be excluding technology. um, But the 2021 story is about that recovery trade. So if you go through the implications, higher rates, cyclical stocks outperforming value oriented stocks outperforming smaller and mid cap outperforming emerging markets outperforming in a weaker dollar environment that recovery trade should play out in 2021 because it should be an environment where the economy is accelerating and policy becomes more supportive i think what investors need to be clear about though is that ultimately that recovery trade will give way to a more modest expansion. Now that's not likely a 2021 story, but as we move beyond this economy recovers from the depths of the coronavirus uh, crisis, As we move beyond, ultimately, we're going to get back to where we were, call it 2011 through 2019, which is just a a slow growth, non-inflationary environment. That's where investors get back to favoring those true growth companies. So I'm not saying that investors should be eliminating those positions. It's a transition. It's a shift to, to to the recovery trade and then back to a modest expansion beyond 2021.
1: Hey, at this point, Brian, we will take modest expansion over a lot of things. Brian Levitt of Invesco, a pleasure to have you on again, Brian. Happy New Year. Thank you very much.
5: Thank you, you as well.
1: All right, still on deck. Lots to do, including your morning RBI, as we're going to take you through all the noise out there and break down how the global vaccine and American vaccine rollout is really going, and what country is leading the charge on inoculations. All right, welcome back and good morning. Well, our friends and our viewers in the United Kingdom are dealing with so much right now, from a new virus outbreak to new hard lockdowns across the nation and the unclear new rules around Brexit, only a week old. And that, like here, has left a lot of small businesses scrambling. And we care about small business here on CNBC, whether it is in the United States or anywhere around the world. So we are joined now by Sally Stevenson, founder and owner of The Pencil Case, a stationery and school uniform shop in Wales. Sally, good morning. Thank you for joining us here on Worldwide Exchange and CNBC. You know, so many small businesses are struggling right now in the United States. Mom and pop dealing with it. Same in the United Kingdom. What is business like now for you? What has it been like the last couple of weeks and months?
6: Well, good morning, Brian. You're right. It is. It's really tricky for us here in the United Kingdom right now, um, As you said in the introduction, we've just uh, left the European Union. We're in the middle of a Covid pandemic. Pretty much the whole country is under a strong lockdown. All the shops are closed. So it's really, really difficult trying to run a business in these conditions. There's so much uncertainty and um, it's just really hard to know what's happening next. I mean, my shop's closed at the moment and I don't even have an end date for when the lockdown is due to finish. So I don't know when I can reopen. So it's really difficult to plan.
1: Yeah, and I think that's the key. So many small businesses here, Sally, in the United States, they understand why lockdowns are necessary, but they get frustrated because some of the changes come with almost no notice. You're going to shut down tomorrow. What kind of guidance has occurred in the United Kingdom and for you?
6: Yeah, well, we had exactly that situation just before Christmas. So we'd been closed for two weeks at the end of October into November with the reassurance that when we reopened, we'd be able to trade all the way up to Christmas to try and recover some of the lost sales. And then the Saturday before Christmas on the 19th, suddenly in the afternoon, we were told, actually, as of midnight, all of Wales is in lockdown. So you'll be closed for the last week of Christmas trading. So we literally had seven hours notice that we had all of our last week of Christmas trading taken away. So that was really, really frustrating. And then we've been closed ever since and we've still got no um, confirmation of when we might likely reopen. And then in the last 48 hours, England has gone into a lockdown until the middle of February and Scotland's gone into lockdown until the end of January. So I'm expecting now that Wales hmm. will probably fail and we'll have an extended lockdown. But as I say, as I sit here today, I have no idea when my business will be able to reopen.
1: Well, it it sounds like perhaps... A month or maybe more, Sally? How are you going to make it?
6: We've we've made the assumption we'll be closed now till at least the end of January. Um, The thing that's really difficult now is that we're waiting to see what government financial support will be available. We were told before Christmas that we'd have £3,000, which will probably get us over two or three weeks of closure. Now, with this extended lockdown, we're still waiting to hear, will there be any more financial support? Because, you know, you just can't keep a business running with all the overheads and the staffing costs that we've got if there's no financial support when you've got no sales coming in. So we're starting to get really impatient to know exactly from both the Welsh Government and the UK Government what financial support will be available if they're insisting that we stay shut for a prolonged period of time.
1: Well, whether it's small business here in the United States or in the UK or anywhere around the world, we are concerned about it here on CNBC, and we appreciate you telling your story to us. We're thinking about you guys over there in the UK, rooting for this virus, the vaccines to be rolled out, the virus to go away, and for you to reopen. Sally Stevenson of The Pencil Case. Sally, best to you. Good luck. Keep us informed. Thank you. Thank you. So tough for so many all around the world. All right, still to come. The latest on that breaking news out of the Georgia special election and Democrats already flipping one Senate seat with the other. Still too close to call here in the 5 o'clock hour. Lon Moy standing by with what this all might mean for control of Congress, taxes, and your money. And as a reminder, if you are getting out, you can always watch or listen to us live anywhere on the go on the CNBC app. Dow futures up, NASDAQ futures are down big. We are back right after this. breaking news. Democrat Raphael Warnock is projected to flip one Georgia Senate seat in the runoff against Republican Kelly Loeffler. The other race at this hour still too close to call with the balance of power at stake. Oil prices hitting 11-month highs after Saudi Arabia promises a voluntary output cut. We'll speak with RBC Capital Market Salim Croft about the Saudi surprise. And if the Cleveland Browns didn't already have enough trouble with the COVID outbreak, wait until you hear what two players were caught doing early yesterday morning as they headed the playoffs for the first time in like 20 years. It is Wednesday, January 6th, and this is Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. Well, I'll give you a hint. That song by Sammy Hagar has a lot to do with that story on the Browns that we're going to tell you. All right. Welcome back, everybody, and good Wednesday morning. I am Brian Sullivan. There's a lot going on. Let's get right to it. Here's how your money and investments look right now as we are just about halfway through the 5 a.m. hour. Really interesting what's going on in the stock futures. And I say that not because the moves on the Dow futures are big, but because of that divergence. So, Dow futures, and if you're listening on the radio, Dow futures are up 64 points, normally kind of a sanguine move for the Dow. But NASDAQ futures, they're collapsing. They're down 260 points, nearly a 2% move on NASDAQ futures. Now, fair value is in the green as well. I can tell you this much, folks. We've been doing this together, right? We've all been getting up early in the U.S. together for a long time now. And I can't remember a morning where, A, we had NASDAQ futures down this much. There is growing concern. That in a Democrat-controlled Congress, we could see new regulations against big technology, changes to Section 230 of the law, antitrust action, what have you, and the divergence between that and the Dow futures. So which way these markets go overall could be very, very different today. But big tech, no doubt probably a big part of your portfolio getting hit right now. All the FANG names are down one or two or even more percent. Meantime, check out the 10-year Treasury yield. It is rising to 1% for the first time since March. What does that mean? Well, it means, of course, the cost of borrowing is going to go up. You know that. But also, watch the financials and banks. It could be in the green today. Any kind of a move like that in Treasury yields mean perhaps that cost of funding. Their NIM net interest margin could also go higher. So watch the regional, mid-cap, and big-cap banks on that move in the 10-year over 1%. Well, the balance of power in Washington is a big story for all of us this morning. And as we've been telling you, NBC News projecting that Democrat Raphael Warnock will win his race against Republican Senator Kelly Loeffler, flipping that one seat. The other runoff race between Democrat John Ossoff and incumbent Senator David Perdue simply remains too close to call at this hour. Let's get right now to Alon Moy with the very latest. Elan, at this 5.30 a.m. Eastern Time hour, where do we stand?
0: Well, you're right, Brian, the Democrats have not yet clinched the Senate, but they have made history as Democrat and Pastor Raphael Warnock is now projected to become the first black senator from Georgia.
7: We were told that we couldn't win this election. But tonight, we prove that with hope, hard work, and the people by our side, anything is possible and so georgia i am honored by the faith that you have shown in me and i promise you this tonight i am going to the senate to work for all of georgia
0: now but leffler has not formally conceded and overnight she told her supporters that she plans to make sure that every legal vote is counted her colleague senator david Perdue, was even more explicit NBC News currently shows that he is trailing his opponent, John Ossoff, with roughly 49.8% of the vote compared to Ossoff's 50.2%. And in a statement, Purdue said, we will mobilize every available resource and exhaust every legal recourse to ensure all legally cast ballots are properly counted. But many of the remaining votes do come from Democratic strongholds, and Ossoff's campaign was equally confident that he would be declared the winner and put Democrats in control of the Senate. That is why the markets have been so focused on these races. The Senate is the linchpin of the Democratic agenda. And incoming President Joe Biden has proposed more than $2 trillion in tax increases on the wealthy and corporations. That only becomes possible if Democrats win this last race. But, Brian, I do want to point out that even if they do, they would have to keep all 50 of their members marching in lop steps. So that means that no matter what the outcome of this race is, the more moderate members of the chamber are going to have more power over policy. Back over to you.
1: Yeah. And, and, OK, I've got a couple of follow ups for you. I'm going to get the tax plan in just a second. But I want to hit what you just said, because I think this is the big story. And I was sort of only half joking with my wife last night, Alana. I said, if the Democrats take both seats in Georgia, it is likely that Democratic Senator Joe Manchin from West Virginia arguably one of, if not the most GOP states in the country, could become the most powerful man in the nation because he could flip parties. He could become an independent, become GOP. And he's already said on the record that he will not go for some of these big, sort of more progressive ideals. Even if we get that 50-50 split, to your point, how likely is it that a Manchin, uh, a Murkowski, a Collins, a Romney are going to go with some of these more progressive, higher tax, big regulation ideals.
0: Yeah, I think you're absolutely right, Brian. And I know that you know West Virginia very well. I think that what you're seeing here is that sort of the playbook that was put forth around the COVID relief package, where you saw sort of a small group of bipartisan senators really break that logjam, that is what is going to be needed and what you're going to see more of when you get to the new Congress, whether or not Democrats end up controlling the Senate. For most bills, they will end up needing 60 votes to pass. So with 50 members of the Senate even, they're still going to need to work with Republicans in order to do most big things. There are some special processes that they could use that would only require 50 votes in the Senate. But again, there is zero room for error here. And if one member, like a Joe Manchin, were to object, their whole effort would collapse.
1: Yeah. Well, oh, how could I not? By, by the way, West Virginia, a three iron from where basically I went to high school in Winchester, Virginia. All right. Quickly, Alana, I want to show our viewers. I know you know it. I'm going to show our viewers some of the tax ideas from the Biden administration. These numbers from Cowan Research Tax Foundation, the Biden tax plan, all that's publicly available. Some of the some of the ideas that the Biden team has floated include this. A new twelve and a half percent or twelve point four percent Social Security tax on income above four hundred thousand. Right now it's capped at 137.7. There would be a donut hole, and then it would kick in at 400. And by the way, the big numbers are what they expect to raise from that: capital gains and dividends taxed at 39.6. That would be the top individual rate because another idea is to raise that top rate back to 39.6 from 37, and to cap itemized deductions at 28 percent. The Tax Foundation, nonpartisan organization, indicates if all of these are passed—and that's a long shot—but if they are, that could raise taxes on top earners by as much as 11% per year, given that this is gonna be likely the narrowest congressional divide in modern, if not U.S. history entirely. How likely is some, none, or all of that likely to get done?
0: Yeah, I think that the way to look at these are as sort of a menu of options that the Biden administration and a Democrats in Congress would be able to choose from to sort of mix and match with different uh, spending policies. Do they increase the corporate tax rate and pair it with infrastructure? Do they raise the top rate on high income earners but get rid of the self-deduction? So there are a number of ways that these could play out, and we'll just have to see how they end up piecing the puzzle together. But um, certainly these are all things that are on the table.
1: All right, Elon Moy live for us here on a big day. And I have a feeling, lot. I'm going to see you all day long here on CNBC. Elon, thank you very much. All right, we'll call this the Saudi shocker, if you will. Saudi Energy Minister Abdulaziz bin Salman dropping a bombshell at the virtual OPEC meeting yesterday, saying his country decided to unilaterally cut production by one million barrels a day and adding that they did it as a sign of goodwill to OPEC and other oil-producing nations that are struggling right now. Now, that surprise move sent oil and oil stocks higher on Tuesday. Crude oil jumped 5%. Many big-name oil stocks went with it marathon up 12% occidental about the same and even beaten up old Exxon ExxonMobil, rose 7% at one point on tuesday you can see those moves there now the move here by the saudis done for two reasons one to counter the desire for russia to raise its own production even in weakening global demand and two to balance out what could be falling demand due to global COVID lockdowns. Now, in the virtual meeting, I was able to ask the Saudi energy minister, Abdul ben- Abziz bin Salman, to give us his best and worst case scenarios for global demand. He answered by saying that his scenarios may be more of a hunch than a science.
8: What is going on now is lockdowns and this and that. So immediately my technical tells me take a proactive and take, uh, take a preemptive action. Uh, this is what these tentacles told me in January last year. Would these uh, current lockdowns seriously impact the world economy? They may, but not necessarily in the same size magnitude that we have seen back in uh, March, April, May, and June.
1: All right, now let's bring in someone else who was on that video call, who is always on all the calls and all the meetings. Halima Croft of RBC Capital Markets and, of course, a CNBC contributor. Halima, jaw-dropping news from the Saudi. And when I yes. say that, by the way, I actually mean it. When I was looking at all of it, I was looking at you in our little boxes there yes. on the WebEx. And when he announced this, I actually literally think I saw your jaw drop,
7: yes. your take on this news. No, my jaw did drop. I mean, there had been an expectation at best they would roll over January production levels. And there was a view that because the Russians were pushing for a production increase, Russia might get their way. But His Royal Highness, he brought the bazooka yesterday. I mean, nobody was anticipating a unilateral Saudi cut of a million barrels a day. And I think they very much took back control of OPEC. They would say we're always in control of OPEC. We're the only one with spare capacity. We're the only one who can swing the market in terms of production. But there has been a sense that maybe Russia was calling the shots. Saudi proved they were really back in the driver's seat yesterday.
1: Why do you think they did it unilaterally, as he said, a gesture of goodwill to oil producing nations with Iraq and Nigeria and Libya struggling so much. Is that really the reason or is it more because they're just not sure where global demand is going to go? And Russia is very sure that it would like to take more market share, maybe in part to punish one Senator 10 Cruz in his state of Texas (laughs) for opposing the Nord Stream 2 pipeline.
7: No, I think that His Royal Highness has always been concerned about the demand outlook. I mean, he was right. In January last year, he was concerned when the reports of the virus were emerging from Wuhan. He's always been concerned about the demand outlook. And so I think when you have cascading government lockdown restrictions, this new COVID variant, I think he just wants to be extra cautious when it comes to production policy. He does not want to be sort of caught blindsided by a shift in the demand outlook that said i do think also you know the timing was very interesting you also had cutter welcomed back into the gcc fold yesterday you had the saudis making this grand gesture to cutter so i think there were a lot of saudi grand gestures going on yesterday i'm not sure the russians are especially pleased with it i mean yes they'll benefit from the price action But I do think the Russians are very concerned about losing market share to the U.S. That is what Alexander Novak actually said in December. If we don't increase, somebody else will. And I do think they will want to keep shale on the sidelines in 2021.
1: All right. Well, obviously, I want to shift gears just a bit here. Iran, is this going to be the incoming Biden administration's greatest challenge, this sort of new saber rattling by Iran?
7: I mean, I think certainly the fact that this week we've had a series of provocative gestures. We've had the South Korean tanker seized. We have Iran announcing that they are going to be enriching uranium at 20 percent levels. That is 90 percent of the way to weapons grade enrichment. They will be doing it at this underground facility for dough that they are not supposed to use under JCPOA. So I think it puts urgency in the biden plan to try to get them back into this nuclear deal they are very concerned that iran is essentially marching towards having weapons capability i think the iranians in turn want to put pressure on biden to get the deal done quickly and potentially offer the iranians sweeteners to getting back into the nuclear deal
1: we thought it was going to be a boring opec plus virtual (laughs) meeting but it was anything but thanks to abdulaziz bin salman quite the (laughs) shocker there and by the way Maybe a little gift to all the hard-hit Texas oil producers. They are happy Absolutely. to see 50 bucks for the first time in nearly a year. Absolutely. Halima Croft, Happy New Year. I look forward to seeing you back happy in New Vienna year. as well at some point. And, and it will happen. It will happen in that doggone wow. stairwell at some point this year. The stale cookies and all at the OPEC headquarters. Uh, Halima, thank you very much.
2: Thank you. All right,
1: coming up, this morning's top trending stories, including some bad news from music fans maybe also fans of the Cleveland Browns. Dow futures up 100, NASDAQ futures down more than 200. Big divergence. We're back right after this. All right, welcome back and good morning. It is Worldwide Exchange here at 547 on a Wednesday morning. Time now for today's top trending stories where we're going to hit a little bit of music, a little bit of illegal drag racing, (laughs) and a little bit of David Hasselhoff. Josh Lipton is back with these stories. If you could turn those all into one story, Josh,
2: that would be a thing. I think so, Brian. Uh, So let's start here. The 2021 Grammys have been officially postponed to March 14th. That's from the original date of January 31st. Plans were being made to keep the show entirely live. The organizers citing the rising cases in Los Angeles as a primary reason for the postponement. And the Cleveland Browns have made it to the playoffs, but without the now 17 players on the COVID reserve list. Team reporting five positive cases, including two players and the head coach. On the same day, two players were cited for drag racing. The Browns are still set to play their first playoff game against the Steelers this Sunday. And if you've always wanted to own a piece of the Hoff, now's your chance, Brian. David Hasselhoff is putting some of his iconic items up for auction, including the 14-foot lifelike model used in the SpongeBob movie. Live bidding starts January 3rd and is expected to fetch as much as $1.5 million. And if giant models just aren't your thing, well, you can bid instead for Hoff's fully functional kit car from the movie Knight Rider. That's estimated to go for as high as $300,000. And if the bid exceeds 25%, of that reserve price, the Hoff will personally deliver the car to the new owner. Brian, back to you.
1: They personally deliver the car. You, <laughs> what do you think it's going to go? Any estimates, Josh? I mean, can we pool our cash here? What,
2: what, what do we need? What do we need? I'm in, How Brian. Much? I mean, if you want to pool, get this together. I mean, I, I want that car for three hundred thousand. Some would argue, if you're a big Hoff fan, maybe it's kind of a steal. He comes by your home, personally delivers it. Look at that. Who doesn't want to take a ride in that with the Hoff, Brian?
1: by by the way look at david hasselhoff i don't know how old the guy is but he's perpetually going to be 42 looks tremendous kind of like you josh look josh (laughs) good to see you josh thank you very much all right on deck democrats flipping one georgia seat with the other still too close to call at this hour all of this is technology futures tank they're down nearly two percent but small caps are soaring more in your money ahead and by the way if you haven't already why not subscribe to our new podcast. Worldwide Exchange is is now a podcast. If you're missing a day or tell your friends and family who live in, you know, California or Guam or wherever, check us out on Apple, Spotify or other podcasting apps. Get the fastest paced morning business news show in the world, all in a podcast, the picture not included. We're back after this. Oh, fair to say, and we don't say this lightly, that this is one of the most unusual morning markets for your money that we have ever seen. Why do we say that? Well, look at this or listen to this if you're on the radio. NASDAQ futures are down nearly 2%, more than 230 points. Fears of big tech regulation are on the minds of investors. But Dow futures, they're higher. They're up 114. Why? Well, likely because 10-year yields are back above 1%, which means... That could be good for banks and financials, which are more heavily weighted in the Dow. Good news for financials, good news for the Dow, more regulation, bad news for tech. But also check this out. The domestic small cap trade is booming right now. It was hot the last quarter of last year, and it's red hot right now. I'm not sure that in all of our time together, folks doing this, that we have seen the Russell 2000 futures up almost 3%. That's this morning. What's the make of it all? Let's bring in Phil Palumbo, CEO and CIO of Palumbo Wealth Management. Phil, I mean, I don't, I don't say this lightly and welcome, by the way. What a bizarre morning for futures. What do you make of it?
8: Yeah, just to say, to say the least. Uh, so, so it's all about the, ref, the the reflation trade that we're seeing right now. We've been talking about this for some time. Now, it's almost the opposite that we saw last year with COVID, where you saw growth outperforming the Dow, specifically the Nasdaq outperforming the Dow. Now you're seeing the reverse of that. So when you have interest rates rise like we're seeing right now, you're going to see value and cyclicals start to outperform growth. And that's what you're seeing right now.
1: I mean, do you think this is the trend, Phil? Like one day doth not a trend make. I think Shakespeare said that. But do you think this is the trend that's going to occur? Higher rates, good for financials, big tech. It's already seen its time. Time to reinvest back in smaller cap American stocks.
8: It's obviously always tough to call. There's been a few head fakes over the past few years, but I actually do believe that this is for real. And, and the reason why is I do think all the stimulus that we put into the economy, I think the helicopter money that we're going to see, that we saw and we're going to continue to see this year is, is all going to be inflationary, which is going to drive rates up. And if that does continue to occur, the two and 10 year spread, as that continues to widen, you know, you will continue to see value and, and some of these cyclicals outperform. They've been the leaders off the bottom since March 23rd. Not many people really understand that. Small caps, cyclicals have outperformed growth since March 23rd. So we do believe in any new cycle, there's always new leadership. And and we believe that the leadership is going to be the cyclical value story going forward. So I know a lot of investors love their Apple stock, Microsoft stock, and NVIDIA, which are great long-term businesses to own for sure. But it's not a bad time to rebalance some of those positions into the cyclical area.
1: Maybe into a name like a Bank of America. Hey, if interest rates are going up, albeit off incredibly low levels, could be good for a BAC, a J.P. Morgan and others.
8: So Bank of America is uh, one of the best positioned banks, uh, we believe. And the biggest reason why is because they're the most interest rate sensitive bank. They have more exposure to consumer and commercial banking than any other bank. So a 100 basis point move in, in, uh, in interest rates can be $10 billion to, the, to revenue overall for Bank of America. So. When it comes to when it comes to interest rates moving higher, Bank of America is one of the best banks to be positioned. in. we've been building a position in Bank of America uh, since April and May of of last year. We continue to be long Bank of America and a believer that this is for real for the banks as well as interest rates move higher.
1: Phil Palumbo, Palumbo Wealth Management, an important day to have you on, Phil. We appreciate the views watching a Bank of America and the big financials today. Phil, best to you and yours. Happy New Year. Thank you very much. All right. Before we go to Squawk Box here, thank you very much, Phil. I want to show you futures again. We don't say this lightly, folks. It is an odd morning for the markets here. You've got Dow futures up because of what we just talked about. Interest rates on the rise, big cap financials, big banks. They like that. That could drag the market up on the Dow. But technology stocks, lots of fears about perhaps a blue Congress, big new regulation on big tech. NASDAQ futures, they're down 250. That is one of the biggest declines that we have seen at least since March and certainly at any time this year. And yet the small cap names, the Russell 2000, up nearly 3% this morning on this domestic inflation ideal. Man, we could talk about it for hours, and we will, but not on this show. We'll see you tomorrow. Squawk Box and the gang will pick up that important coverage next. Have a great day. You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern, only on CNBC. Life
5: is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one Crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem
8: of a detour.